Stay with us following this week's Crosswalk for information on Pastor Clay's new book, I Get It, Discovering How to Really Live in the Promises of God. Growing in God's Word and learning what it means to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. We can be incredibly patient at work with a co-worker and come home and be impatient with our spouse. We can be amazingly serving of others in our community and come home and completely ignore how our wife might need help or our husband might need help or how we could could serve them. We can be conscious of what we do and how we interact with others and yet we come home and don't seem to care much at all about how we're treating or thinking or talking or saying or whatever we're doing to our spouse. It ought to be exactly the opposite. They ought to be the greatest expression, but it oftentimes is like that. Marriage, it is one of the most difficult things we may ever experience. As Pastor Clay said last week, Two imperfect people living under the same roof is a formula for disaster. But at the same time, marriage is also one of the most wonderful, fulfilling, and rewarding things we can ever experience. The question is, how do we make our marriage all that it can be and that God wants it to be? A husband and a wife, as they live out Christ-like love toward each other, that is a display. It's an illustration. It's a picture of this relationship that we should have with God and the love that He has for us and the closeness that He wants with us. Last week, we kicked off a brand new series here at Cross Culture Church entitled, Until Death Do Us Part. Over the next several weeks, we're going to look at several aspects of the marriage relationship. Last week, we started by looking at the reason for marriage. Today, Pastor Clay is going to finish up the subject as well as talk about God's exception for marriage and His expectation for marriage. We're so glad you've joined us today. Now here's Pastor Clay. Over the next several weeks, we're, we're going to be talking about the reason for marriage, and, uh, and that's what we talked about last week, and, and we'll finish that up uh, today. We're also going to be talking about the reality of marriage. Can I get an amen? Yeah. Uh, uh, we'll talk about the romance of marriage, and we'll talk about the responsibilities of marriage, uh, and, uh, and so we've got several things to uh, talk about. But last week, we began the subject matter about the reasons uh, for uh, marriage, and and I brought out two of those. wasn't able to finish the second one as much as I wanted to, but wanted to. But going to have some time this morning, so I wanted to do a brief review um, about what we talked about last week because I added a few things in there just to to talk about, and then we'll move on to some of the application of the second reason. But uh, if you're here and you are married, or you hope to be married someday, or you want to be married someday, or whatever, uh, is it your desire to have the very best marriage that you can possibly have? I I think we should. I mean, right? Okay, so here's where we started last week. The first reason that we looked at last week for marriage, we said, was procreational. And those blanks are probably filled in on your outline uh, this week, but it was procreational. And we read uh, Genesis chapter 1 and verse 28 where it says, Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. Somebody give me a translation of that. That's right. Have kids. Have babies. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. Fill the earth. And govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Uh, just, just briefly, it's just this idea that, that God uh, has part of his purposes in, in creating us and, and making us um, 
this part of his creation created in his image is so that we could and would and have the opportunity to, to oversee and manage uh, his creation. It belongs to him, uh, and not just, you know, the birds or the fish or the trees and all that kind of stuff, which we ought to be good stewards of, the, the oil in the ground and the wind in the air and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Uh, not, it's not just that, but it's also the very time that you and I have. The gifts and talents that we have, the financial resources that we have, that you and I are made stewards, uh, caretakers of all of this because it all belongs to, say it, God. That's right. It all belongs to him. And so uh, by procreating, by having children in the, in the, in the uh, structure of marriage which God has given to us, uh, those children have the, the, the best nurturing atmosphere that they're going to have to grow up. They're not going to be perfect. They're, they're going to have their problems or all, all that kind of stuff. We still live in a sin-cursed world. But that marriage provides this, uh, this setting where children can grow up and be nurtured and that where those children will have the best chance of doing exactly what God wants them to do, to, to rule or to reign over. And, and it simply means to be a caretaker over, to, to steward of of. Uh, God's creation, all that he has for us. Uh, I mentioned last week, you know, that, that I don't think there's any magic number about how many children you should have. Uh, you can go back and listen to that message if you weren't here and just hear a little bit of thoughts uh, about that. But, uh, but I do believe that God uh, will direct us if we, if we in, will intently, uh, and as I said, intensely uh, seek God's wisdom and his will. I believe he'll let us know uh, about those aspects. But part of the purpose of marriage is to have children. I mentioned last week that because of the sin curse and the consequences that came into the world, that, 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 there, that there are problems. Sometimes there are physical problems. People are not able to, to, uh, to bear children, to have children. Um, but that doesn't mean that they can't influence other children, uh, neighborhood children, nephews, nieces, can't, that they can't influence their life. It doesn't mean that they can't adopt. And we talked some about that and the, the uh, option of adoption and, and how God can use that to bless you and the lives of those, I think I said, 18 million uh, uh, estimated uh, orphans uh, in the world today. But procreation is uh, part of the reason, one of the reasons for marriage. And the second reason we said was that the reason for marriage is relational. Procreational, relational. And we read from Genesis chapter 2, and I want to do that again this morning. Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 to 25. Okay? Thank you. All the rest of y'all have to listen because... <laughs> Genesis, 8, uh, Genesis 2, 18, 25. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the cattle and to the birds of the sky, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs, and he closed up the flesh at that place. And the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man. And then he brought her to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man shall leave his mother and his, his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked, 
and we're not ashamed. Relational. And then uh, last week, I broke the text down and, and just going to touch some highlights and then add a couple things that I looked at last week. And we start it in verse 18 with this declaration where God declares it's not good for man to be alone, for, for mankind in general. It's the idea that God has created us for a relationship. And as I said last week, first and foremost, a relationship with Him, but also this relationship that we have with other people. And a couple items that I mentioned from this idea, this declaration that God makes, and the reason for it is I said, first off, that the greatest illustration of the relationship with God is the relationship between a husband and a wife. That a husband and a wife, um, uh, as they live out Christ-like love toward each other, that that is uh, a display, it's, a, it's an illustration, it's a picture of this relationship that we should have with God and the love that he has for us and the closeness that he wants with us. And marriage pictures that, it, it, it illustrates that to the world around us. Quite honestly, if we, the church, and married couples within the church, y'all ready for this? If we got our act together, with our marriages, and I mean, we, we, we truly display the love of Christ to our spouses and, that, and so the other people around us, if, if we did that, I believe what we'd begin to see is, is the world would begin, the world, meaning those outside of the body of Christ, would begin to be jealous of what they see that we have. And if nothing else, if nothing else, we'd fill this room up with at least the wives who, who said, man, I wish my husband treated me like, like those Christian husbands treat their wives. I'm going to go see what that's about. And maybe they get their husband to come too. It's an illustration of this, of this body. And I mentioned uh, Matthew chapter 9, Matthew chapter 25, Revelation chapter 19, where Jesus refers to us as his bride and him as the bridegroom. It's a picture, it's an illustration. Second uh, statement I made was that I said the greatest expression of the relationship between human beings, between all of us, the greatest expression of that is the marital relationship between a man and a woman. And as I said last week, my goodness, we ought to be, we ought to express the love of God to everybody, shouldn't we? We ought to be kind to everybody. We ought to be patient with everybody. We ought to be uh, willing to serve uh, anybody and everybody. But nowhere should that be expressed greater than in the relationship between myself and my spouse. That should be the ultimate expression of, this, of, of the way that we treat people. Can I get an amen? Right? That is the ultimate expression because, because if I can't get it right with my spouse, if I can't, then, then, how, then how dare I even think about the, what, treating other people better than her? And yet... As I said last week, and yet, that is often what happens, doesn't it? Uh, we can be incredibly patient at work with, with, with a coworker and come home and be impatient with our spouse. We can be uh, amazingly serving of others in our community and come home and, and completely ignore uh, how our wife might need help or our, our husband might need help or how we could, could serve them. We can be conscious of, of what, we, what we do and how we interact with others and yet we come home and don't seem to care much at all about how we're treating or thinking or talking or saying or whatever we're doing uh, to our spouse. 
It ought to be exactly the opposite. They ought to be the greatest expression, but it oftentimes is like that. And, and I gave a couple of reasons why, uh, at least a couple of reasons why that is often the case. And I said, first off, that it happens because of familiarity. We don't mean to be mean, but it just ends up being that way because we, they're just there, right? They're there. And you get used to them, and they've been there two years or five years or, or 37 years. You know, they, they're there. And you can become familiar with them. So I wanted to add to that just a little bit this week and just give you just a little intentional. And I think I mentioned this, but just want to go a little more specific. Here's what you need to do. Be intentionally appreciative of your spouse to fight the bad side of familiarity. And I say the bad side of familiarity because I do believe that there's a good side of familiarity. I like the familiar feel of my wife lying next to me in bed. I like being familiar with what she likes and what she thinks. I like the fact that she is familiar with me. She knows me like no other person on the face of the earth knows me. And I know her like no other person on the face of the earth knows her. There's a good side of familiar But there's also a bad side of familiar where familiarity tends, can lead to complacency that we just begin to take them for granted. So you have to be intentional about being appreciative of your spouse. I was just thinking about this when I was back in the cafeteria and looking at my message and stuff. I was thinking, you know, just, just, just be proactive. Just number one, just make time. Just say, I'm going to take time uh, to, to do this. I, I, I'm going to make a concerted effort to appreciate my spouse, to think about it, to, to take time to do it, to make a list. I mean, it might not be on paper. It can be. It's fine. It might just be in your head, but to, but to systematically go through and say, listen, man, this is, what I, this is what I love about my spouse. This is what drew me to my spouse in the first place. I, I, I love the way she does this, or I love the way that he does that, and, and I, I, I appreciate this. To, to actually just enumerate what it is that you appreciate about them. Y'all got time to do that during the day, right? Sometime during the day, you got time to do that. Take the time, make a list, and then state what you're appreciative of. Just state it to yourself, state it to them. Tell them, this is, I appreciate that you do this, and, and, and I'm grateful that you do that, and, and I love this about you, and I, I you, see, you gotta, you, we gotta fight. Uh, we gotta intentionally fight that, that bad side of familiarity. Otherwise, it ends up being just the opposite. Instead of them being the greatest expression of how we treat people, they become the worst expression of how we treat people. And then the, uh, I think I had another second one I had, uh, it happens because of familiarity, familiarity and it happens because of carnality, because we operate in our flesh. Our flesh, ladies and gentlemen, you know what I mean by that? In other words, if you're here and you profess Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, then according to what God's Word says, His Spirit dwells within you. Doesn't mean, you know, it, that's what God's Word says. His Spirit dwells within you. So as, as the Apostle Paul writes in Romans 7, he says, now I have this struggle within me. The flesh uh, wages war against the, the Spirit. So when we operate in the flesh, when we are carnal, That's when our feelings get the best of us. That's when our emotions bring out the worst in us, right? Am I the only one that has experienced this in my life? When I operate in the flesh. So, here's what you need to do. 
be intentionally productive in your personal spiritual growth. Listen to me. The greatest thing you will ever do for your marriage is not read another book on marriage, not attend another marriage conference or marriage seminar, not watch another episode of Dr. Phil. All of those things may be fine and good. I'm not saying they're bad. I'm just saying that the greatest thing you will ever do for your marriage is to grow up in Christ Jesus. For you to take personal responsibility for your personal walk with Christ and to say, I I gotta keep moving in this. I gotta grow up in who I am in Christ Jesus. Let's look, look at these very, very important words in Galatians chapter 5. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. In other words, you made this intentional decision that I'm dying to myself and I'm going to let God's Spirit begin to have control of my life. If we live by the Spirit, read that last part. Read it out loud. Let us also walk by the Spirit. What is Paul saying? Well, if, if we live by the Spirit, if we, if we claim we're in Christ Jesus, if we claim the Spirit lives within, it, within us, then let's all be from Missouri. Show me. Walk in it. Talk is cheap. This idea of walking in the Spirit. If we live by the Spirit, let us walk in the Spirit. Let us not become boastful challenging one another, envying one another. Now, imagine, Galatians 5, 22 to 26, we just read, imagine that coming out of you and the impact that that would have on your marriage. Think about it a moment. If, if from your life, if in your life and coming out of your life is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and, gentle, and self-control and all these things, if that is what's coming out of you, y'all, y- y- you understand? What? Imagine how you're able to handle your, your spouse's stuff. Does your spouse have stuff? <laughs> their, their annoying little habits. Does your spouse have annoying little habits? <laughs> open a can <laughs> open up a can there didn't I right yeah, oh sure we've all got them I snore my wife tells me right we got our annoying little habits we've got our things that fr- we, we got but imagine 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 if love joy peace peace kind of good gentleness is coming out of me is in me and coming out of me imagine how what my reaction is to to them do you see That's the greatest thing you will ever do for your marriage. I know what you're thinking. But what about them? They're the ones that really need to change. (laughs) You're not going to like this, but that's none of your business. It's none of your business. God is the one who changes me, Cindy, you. God is the one that does that work. And the sooner you realize that, and the sooner you live in the reality of God's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness coming out of you and being in you, the sooner you realize that, the easier it'll be to just be the best spouse that you can possibly be and be okay with who they are. Wanting them to change, wanting to see change, wanting them to be more compassionate, more caring, more loving, more emotional, talk more, all those things, whatever it is that we want out of our spouse. But if that's what's in us and coming out of us, uh, the, the effects to my marriage are, would just be dramatic. Just be dramatic. 
Okay, so, uh, so that, that's the declaration. All right, real quick. Let me just run through this real quickly. So we had an observation. Uh, y'all remember that? Where it's kind of weird. I mean, God declares, it's not good for man to be alone. Hey, Adam, come over here and name all these animals. And then he goes, it, it's kind of, it's almost weird in the, in the text what it does. But as, as I brought out, it was important for Adam to understand what he was missing in his life so that he could appreciate what he was going to have in his life. And so, and so God gives Adam this observation moment where he can see that, there, that there's not anyone like him and he needs this. And then we uh, looked at the preparation. God causes Adam to fall into a deep sleep and he takes from his, uh, his side a rib and he fashions into, from this rib uh, this woman Eve. And, we, and, and all the parts that go with that, uh, we said there, that, that it demonstrates or that we can see equality. Not sameness, but equality between men and women. Sacrifice. Hey, this is a good word, guys. This is a good word. Adam had to give up part of himself to get a good woman. And unity. This, Adam says there in verse 23, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. I'm going to call her woman because she was taken out of man. Okay. Um, uh, the, the separation, again, drawing those parameters and understanding, I... I my, my, I may have parents, I have siblings, I extend, but, but when I say I do to this person, this new family unit is formed and that family unit is different from that other family unit and that family unit takes precedence and priority over that other family unit. And then if you struggle in that area, you, you, need, to, you need to talk to your spouse about it, you need to work through that and understand that, that your spouse becomes your priority and your family becomes your priority. There was, this, there was this clear separation. And then uh, finally, there was the consecration, this idea that they were set aside for the glory of God, for the good of each other. They were both naked and they were not uh, ashamed. Okay, so it's this relational aspect of, this, uh, of this, uh, this purpose or this reason for marriage. Now, let me give you uh, what I might call some benefits of marriage real quickly here this morning, okay? Benefits of of this relational marriage, right? This this thing God has given us this opportunity to have a relationship with this other person. Benefits? Y'all want some benefits? Yes. <laughs> All right. Okay. Let's uh, let's start with this. Let's start with physical intimacy. That is a benefit of marriage. Physical intimacy is a benefit of marriage. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Here's let's break it down. Here's what it looks like. Physical, physical intimacy, I can't even say it, physical, physical intimacy is healthy for your life. <laughs> it, physical intimacy is healthy for your life. Physical intimacy is good. It's gooder than some of you even realize. This, this idea of physical intimacy and how it actually is physically healthy for you. According to a, an article I read on Healthline.com, Dr. Erwin Goldstein says, if you read the latest research, you can't conclude anything else but that it's healthy to have sexual activity. Yes, thank you. <laughs> Within the parameters that God designed. We'll talk about that. Within the parameters that God designed... Now, let me, let me be quick to add this. It's not just the, the sexual act alone or only, okay? It is the very idea of the power of touch. And, and within the confines of marriage, I can touch another person in a way that is, that is healthy for me and healthy for them. 
You've all, I've mentioned this before, you guys have probably seen this before, the, the scientists have done these studies where they've taken uh, mice and, you know, they're like, they're taking a single mouse and they, they gave it perfect living environment, gave it all the light it needed, all the food, all the water that it needed. The only exception was they didn't do anything. They didn't touch that uh, mouse. They didn't let it uh, play with the other little mice. Uh, they just left it totally isolated. They didn't take it out and play with it, and it just stayed right there. Take another mouse, exact same living situation, exact same amount of light and food and water. The only difference is that they would, they would allow that mouse to interact with other mice, and they would take that mouse outside, and they would, they would play with it. And, and, and studies have, have clearly shown that the mouse that has touch, that has interaction with others, is, is healthier, uh, bigger, and lives longer than the mouse living in isolation. It is the power of touch. It, it, it's, it's healthy for us. Uh, CNN uh, quoted an article uh, where they said, uh, whether it's a squeeze of the hand, a big bear hug, a kneading massage, even a bedroom romp, Touch is shaping up to be the ultimate mind-body medicine from lowering blood pressure and heart rate to increasing immune function and relieving pain. Getting touched or doing some touching makes you healthier, not to mention happier and less anxious. That's uh, health.com. Physical intimacy is healthy for your life. And I am a doctor. Okay, all right. Uh, second, physical intimacy is healthy for your marriage. Your physical life, but physical intimacy is healthy for your marriage. First off, can I just say this? It's hard to uh, be mad at a person that you're physically intimate with on a frequent basis. You just, you just don't, it's hard to get mad at them. Okay. <laughs> I, if you're married, try it. See, if I'm not telling you the truth, it's hard to be mad at a person. But physical intimacy is healthy for your marriage. Listen to me. It, physical intimacy uh, between a husband and a wife does not guarantee an affair-proof marriage, but it absolutely, unquestionably helps. According to Dr. Karen uh, Ruskin, the most common reason reported by men and women for cheating is that they do not feel attended to. Notice it's not about the sex, not, 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 not first at least. They do not feel attended to. Lack of attention goes hand in hand with lack of feeling appreciated. And the longing and void leads a person to desire the feeling of attentiveness, appreciation, and in essence, feeling valued and wanted. That's usually the open door to an affair. And I promise you this, if you're not attentive to your spouse, if you're not sensitive to who they are and, and what their needs are in their life, and I'll talk more about the emotional needs in a minute, but if you're not, if you're not I, I promise you, I promise you, Satan will find someone to bring into their life who will begin to meet those needs in their life. We begin to give them the attention they need, begin to, to, uh, to, to, to verbalize and talk with them. And I've, listen, I've just seen it enough times, I'm, I'm telling you. And you uh, being physically intimate with your spouse not only meets a physical need, it creates a physical bond between you and your spouse that makes it more difficult for someone else to come between the two of you. Do you understand what I'm saying? Does that make sense? Okay. 
All right, um, physical intimacy is healthy for your life. Physical intimacy is healthy for your marriage. Uh, let's get to the second uh, benefit, emotional connectivity. One of the benefits of, of marriage is emotional connectivity. We should, we should have emotional connections with lots of people, right? We have friends, we, we have brothers and sisters in Christ, and we have other family members. There should be an emotional connectivity to them, but nowhere is there a greater opportunity for emotional connectivity than there is between a husband and a wife. Would you agree? And I'll probably talk more about this when we get to the, the topics of, of romance, marriage, and responsibility of marriage, but let me just say this, uh, a word to, to men, guys. This is a bigger deal than we probably realize it is. It's probably a bigger deal to us than we realize. We may tend to fluff it off and say, well, I, you know, I'm an island. We, 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 I think it's a bigger deal even to us than we realize. But this tends to be a big deal to our wives. Are you listening to me, guys? And I listen. My wife will tell you, I hope, I hope he's listening to himself. <laughs> to have this emotional connection. Because emotional connectivity... Uh, and I don't know what, you know what all is or why it is or whatever, but emotional connectivity tends to build security into a, a woman's life. And security for most women is huge. Now, you occasionally run into a, a woman that's like, oh, yeah, whatever, I don't care. That's, I can do anything. Whatever. But for the most part, being the sense of feeling secure in my marriage, secure that my home is not going away, that, that the, you know, the bills are going to be paid, whatever it is, that this, the sense of security is a big deal. Uh, to most women. And, and marriage gives us that opportunity to connect emotionally with our spouse. It may be hard for some of us and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And guys tend to struggle in this area. But it is a benefit of marriage, okay? All right. Um, third, spiritual vitality. That's another benefit of marriage. Now, you don't have to be married to grow spiritually. But being married affords you an opportunity to to, to grow in a way that, that you might, that would be different if you weren't married. Because, for one thing, let me say this, for one thing, spiritual vitality can occur because being married teaches us a lot about humility. Because what is the purpose of marriage, or what is, what is the goal? I'll get to this in a few weeks, but in a, in a nutshell, it's putting the other person before yourself, Right? Isn't that it? The whole idea of wives submit to your husbands, husbands die to yourself. And the bottom line is what it means is putting their needs ahead of yours. In order for me to do that, what do I have to do? What do I got to do? I have to humble myself. In other words, it's, it's not, not humble like just like, like oh, gee, geez, golly. No, I'm not talking about, I'm talking about the idea of, of putting someone else ahead of me. My flesh tends to not like that. So marriage uh, helps teach me how to humble myself a lot, and humility is a key component to my relationship with God. God hates pride and arrogance. And humility can actually, I mean, marriage can actually help me to learn how to be more humble. Okay. Uh, Also, uh, it spurs us on in spiritual growth. If you happen to be married, uh, and you happen to be married to another uh, believer, then you have the opportunity to kind of spur each other on and share maybe what God is teaching you or <clears throat> do a study together or, or certainly pray together and all those kind of things. But it, it's, it's almost like this, there's this partnership that exists between you with the end goal being to both of you to become more Christ-like, right? And, and so the two of you together have an opportunity uh, to do that, to spur us on in spiritual growth. And uh, then did I have one more title? I can't remember. Oh, yeah. So that was all of that. So that, that's this relational reason for 
marriage. Now, real quickly, I mentioned this last week, there is an exception. Reason for marriage, procreation, reason for marriage, relationship, the spouse, there is an exception. And it is the exception, not the rule. But here's what it is. Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 7 writes these words. He says, now, with regard to the issue you wrote about, it's good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. Bummer. Wait a minute. Now, with regard to the issue you wrote about, it's good for a man. By the way, we, we don't have that record. We don't have the Corinthian church had written to Paul and asked him some questions. Um, and so part of it had to do with sexual relationships and just the history of Corinth. It was a very sexually expressive city and decadent and all this kind of stuff. And so they're coming to Christ and they're wondering, you know, well, you know, the, 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 this temple down here, uh, they have temple prostitutes and that's how they worship. And maybe we should, sex is such a physical thing. Maybe we shouldn't even be having sex at all. So, you know, they want to get it right. Right, Paul? So Paul writes back and he says, yeah, it's good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. Probably not what they wanted to hear. But, they were, but, but because of immoralities, each man should have relations with his own wife and each woman uh, with her own husband. A husband should give his wife her sexual rights. Husbands? <laughs> nothing. I get nothing from you. Husbands? And likewise, a wife to her husband. Why? It is not the wife who has the right to her own body, but the husband does. In the same way, it's not the husband who has the rights to his own body, but the wife does. But the wife do not deprive each other, except by mutual agreement for a specified time, you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then resume your relationship so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say this as a concession, not as a command. I wish that everyone was as I am. He's single. I wish that everyone was as I am. But here it is. Each has his own gift from God. One this way, another that. The unmarried to the unmarried and widows, I say that it's best for them to remain as I am. If you can be single, be single. But if they do not have self-control, and he doesn't mean that in a negative way, by the way. If they do not have self-control, let them get married, for it's better to marry than to burn with sexual desires. Paul had what, what is, we sometimes refer to as, apparently, this gift of singleness. Paul had close relationships with men and with women. He had people in partners in ministry with him. He had close friends. But Paul apparently did not have that physical and emotional need to be married, because that, that's the ultimate expression, right? Paul didn't necessarily have it. He was okay without it. And so what Paul's saying is, hey, if you happen to be that, like that, that's a good thing. Why? Because, buddy, you got, there's no, there's no responsibilities at home, right? There's just you. And if you want to get up, if you want to get up and, and, and go to Addis Ababa and share the news of Jesus, you can do it because you don't got, there's not, there's not a wife that you, you're, got to worry about or, or children you got to worry about how they're going to be taken care of you can just go you can and that's what Paul did his, his ministry just went wherever the spirit led him and so Paul said that's certainly not a bad thing now listen to me Paul is not saying that marriage is a bad thing Paul is not saying that if you have a desire to be married if you're not married and you have a desire to be married he certainly is not saying that is bad he is not saying that if you, if you have physical feelings, physical attraction uh, to the opposite sex and the idea of having a relationship and being physical intimate with a person, that's not wrong. He's just saying that, that, that ultimately 
he said, I'm just telling you, it'd be great if everybody was like me because then we could just really get on with this whole gospel thing and not have to worry about family responsibilities and all that kind of stuff. We could just just let it all go. But if you don't happen to be that way, he says each has their own gift. If you don't happen to have that gift, and again, let me say it, it's the exception, not the rule. There are very few people, I think, that have this gift, quite honestly. If you don't have that, Paul says, get married. Be married, be physically, and and it goes into that whole idea. Don't deprive each other. You need, you need that in your relationship, okay? So, so there is an exception, and, and if you happen to be here and you happen to be uh, single, and you, know, you just need to pray through that and say, God, what do you desire for me? God, what are the desires I have? God, I, I, I really I have lots of friends and stuff, but I'm, I'm okay like this. Or God, I, I really, I really want to be married. I really want to have this, you know. God will reveal that to you as well, and you'll, you'll know, you'll sense it as he's directing your life, okay? All right. So there is an exception, but it is just that. It is an exception, not the rule. For the most part, for most people, marriage is what God desires for us. And the reason for that marriage is to, for a family unit. And the reason for that marriage is for this relationship that we can share together as husband and wife that is unlike any other relationship that we can have. Now, let me just close with this. One more. There is also an expectation. And I, I know I we went through this some when we went through the book of Mark and Jesus' teachings on, on divorce. But I, I just want to remind you of this. There is an expectation. And um, in First uh, Corinthians chapter 7, again, Paul continues on. He says, to the married, I give this command. Not I, but the Lord. A wife should not divorce a husband. But if she does, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. And a husband should not divorce his wife. And then in uh, Matthew chapter 19, uh, Jesus says, Haven't you read, uh, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife. We're just reading that. And the two will become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one, let no one separate. Now, I say, I say that and I bring that up with the full knowledge that, that some of you have experienced the pain of divorce. And, and, I, and I know that some of you uh, may be what, what sometimes referred to as being un, unequally, Paul refers to as being unequally yoked. You, you may be in a marriage where your spouse does not feel the same way that you do, uh, maybe in their affection toward you, their love toward you, or, or certainly in a, in a walk with Jesus Christ. And that, that makes it an unbelievably difficult situation for you. And I want to say to you that you can't, you can't undo your past, whatever may have happened, your fault, their fault, whatever the case may be. We, we, can, we can never, we can only move forward in our future with the intention of saying, all right, in my life, in this, in this relationship that I have, I'm going to do everything that I can to honor God. And I'm going to do it in a Christ-like manner. And that, that's God's expectation on our life. If you happen to be unequally yoked, my heart goes out to you. And, and the Apostle Peter addresses that some and, and the influence particularly that women, uh, believing women can have on an unbelieving husband. But the point is God has an expectation that, the, that this thing would reflect the relationship that we have with him and that it would express the kind of relationship that we can have with all people where love and, and, and all the attributes of the, the fruit of the Spirit are, are demonstrated and, and presented in our lives. Marriage is not easy. But God gives, at least gives us a couple of reasons why marriage is worth it. 
procreational and recreational, two reasons God gives us for marriage. As we heard today, there are plenty of benefits of being married and having a healthy, intimate relationship with our spouse. Marriage takes hard work, and in the coming weeks, we're going to explore some of the areas where we have to put work into our marriage in order to get out of our marriage all that God wants us to have. So be sure to join us next week until death do us part. We're glad you joined us for this week's Crosswalk. Pastor Clay is the author of the book, I Get It, Discovering How to Really Live in the Promises of God. My prayer is that God would use it to help some people understand a few things about what it really takes to live in the promises of God. God wants you to live a life of peace and purpose and meaning and hope and fulfillment and contentment. He wants you to live a life without fear and without anxiety. Many people at some point in their life feel disconnected with the type of life and faith they read about in the Bible and what their lives look like on a daily basis. What is it that we're missing? What is it that we're not getting? If I'm not really living in the promises of God, why is that? That's what this book explores. I Get It is available online in electronic versions for the Nook and Kindle, as well as paperback form from Amazon.com. And ask for it by name at your favorite local bookstore. You can go in bookstores and just say, hey, uh, have you got a book in here uh, entitled I Get It from Clay Stevens? They can order this book out of their catalogs that they get. Get your copy today. Discover the promises of God and the steps you need to take to get it. And join us here each week online for another Crosswalk message. God has invited us to know Him through His Word, the Bible, a perfect record of God's revelation to man and applicable to every area of our lives. And if you're in the Raleigh area, we invite you to be a part of cross-culture worship. We meet at 1030 every Sunday morning at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. Cross-Culture Church. We're a church, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. Our desire is to be used by God to show people that a life built on the finished work of Christ on the cross is where you'll find what you're searching for. Cross-Culture Church. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. So hungry and thirsty, come and be blessed. I want to lead you to the cross. I want to lead you to the cross. Cross-Culture Church, a new church for people like you. Learn more about us, who we are, what we're about, what we do, and what we believe. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org.